Something extraordinary has happened to Judy Sizemore's closet, making it feel more like a closet. 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 An area that once caused claustrophobia now has enough space, space. space to hold all of Judy's striped boat neck sweaters. And Judy Sizemore has a lot of striped right, right. boat neck sweaters. sweaters. The Container Store Custom Closet Sale is here with up to 25% off all systems, including Alpha, through October 13th. The Container Store, where space comes from. And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. It is the place you've come to each and every week for some college football talk and insights. The J.C. and Morgan podcast. And unlike what we've been doing the last few months, we got games to talk about. How about that, everybody? Mike Morgan of uh, ESPN and the SEC Network currently in South Florida, uh, soon to be back in Atlanta and some other places around the globe. J.C. Sherbert in Atlanta as we speak. And J.C., it's this time of year we've been waiting for for a long time. We always jones for it. We can finally get to it after what has been a tumultuous uh, August, to say the least, with uh, some of the major scandals coming through. When you and I were last doing this, we were literally hours away from the verdict on the Urban Meyer situation, they wound up taking 11 hours of deliberation. They, as if they were filming a huh. uh, a, a Perry Mason type uh, movie or something. But they they finally got to it. Finally gave us the verdict. Kind of what you and I had talked about and expected for a while. That the longer this took, you knew Urban was not going to lose his job. They were going to work in the gray area. They did. He got a suspension. That will. Uh, please some people it will not be enough to please others and what did i say all along jc that i thought urban meyer should do it at this point in time what was his best move after we knew yeah to have a mea culpa but it was mea culpa right that's the term i kept using it was one of the worst mea culpas i've ever seen it is a top 10 worst mea culpa in the history of mea culpas It, it you know, you remember like in the SAT, you'd have like a uh, an antonym se- a segment where they'd give you a word and you had to find the word that meant the exact opposite. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you had mea culpa and you had like a, somebody given a really good one, the opposite would be what Urban Meyer did. Um, what was obviously a prepared statement, not written by him. What was obviously a very insincere statement, uh, one in which he barely made eye contact with the audience did not reference at all the the victim uh, and basically came out looking like a guy who really had no sympathy for anybody who thought he was uh, it was almost beyond reproach and that he was annoyed by the whole situation that he'd even have to address it and certainly annoyed by the fact that he was suspended. All that being said, it's done. We move on. We press on. Ohio State will be without him for three games, only one of which is losable, and that's TCU. And then Ohio State can go back to focusing on being one of the uh, favorites to be in the college football playoff once again. Yeah, and we'll see what happens. I mean, you know, you look at the spread for that Oregon State game this weekend, Mike, it's 38 and a half points. That, that's, I think that's laying too many. The Beavers are a Power 5 team. Uh, they have some new blood on their coaching staff out there. They have been competitive in situations before. Remember, uh, gosh, it was probably 15 years ago. They almost knocked off um, 
LSU in, in Baton Rouge in the opener. Uh, but I mean, th- those those are the Beavers of of your. Uh, so to speak. And then these are, this is a major rebuilding job that Gary Anderson just like rolled on a couple of years ago. So I, um, I don't know. 38 and a half seems like an awful lot. As far as Urban Meyer, yes, it, it, it made me uncomfortable. It made me uncomfortable for Ohio State fans, for the university, uh, for Urban Meyer, for the victim. Um, about the only person I didn't feel uncomfortable for Zach Smith because he seems to like to make everyone else feel uncomfortable. He went on a Twitter rant earlier this mm-hmm. week. Um, and I think we've established that his actions have kind of portrayed him as a clown. You know, even even if legally there's some, some gray area there and, you know, he didn't, you know, somebody's lying that maybe we don't think is, although I, I'm, I'm not about to say that that's factual, but you, you just never know. Um, and I think the Twitter mob, you know, has already convicted him, but regardless of anything, he's a clown and he acts like a clown on social media, his public persona. Um, and it was just almost like, my God, I can't believe we're up here dealing with this crap right now. And it's gotten to this level. Um, and and urban Meyer did come across as, as insincere, obviously, you know, with the second released statement where he apologized personally to Courtney Smith and her family that, um, that was kind of a a, a a walk back, if you will, or, or cleanup duty. So I think that, um, you know, th- th- there's a reason for that. And um, certainly I think that, uh, you know, he understood that that wasn't good. What the issue is, I and mean, we'll put a bow on this right now and, and get to talking football. The issue is going to be Brett McMurphy is not finished reporting. And other people aren't finished reporting. And new information, and by the way, Ohio State University, you know, has a better communications and and PR and crisis management department than the White House does now. Because, I mean, it was was brilliant not to have anybody mention any of the new stuff and then dump a bunch of documents and say, have at it and go hide. (laughs) So you don't have to answer for the cell phone situation. So you don't have to answer for... You know, other incidents that had taken place. The strip club thing. Come to find out, Tom Herman was with him at the strip club. Yeah, Zach Smith and Tom Herman walk into a bar. What What, what are you going to do? I mean, you can't make that stuff up. <laughs> Although I will say $600 between two guys and some high school coaches is not a lot to spend at a strip club, to be honest. Nor is it the last. Nor is it the first or last time assistant coaches were at a strip club. Oh, I mean, believe me, I, I know this. You you fight. know that following recruiting yeah, the way yeah, you do. You this know. is hardly something that's a, a revelation to anybody. Oh, my God. They went to a strip club. Oh, <gasps> heavens have mercy. Oh, my gosh. You know, I didn't think that was a big deal. So I, I think that um, I think that when you look at it, uh, I, um, I, 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 I think Urban Meyer and Paul Feinbaum said the other day that he thinks this is Urban's last year at Ohio State. I don't know. I, I think this may be, you know, I, I think there's a tendency in our minds to think, well, Urban Meyer's going to bolt because he quit the Florida job twice. But unless it gets really bad with the other information that comes to light, if there's more to it, um, I don't know that he'll leave. I think he's, you know, kind of got to stay the course, hope it blows over. Um, certainly it, it's less than ideal. Uh, but they're in good hands with Ryan Day and the other head coaches they have uh, on their staff, and, and I think they'll be fine. I don't know if they'll cover against Oregon State, 
but I think that they will they'll win and they'll beat Rutgers. And then uh, that TCU game is going to be interesting. But don't think for a second, as much as I love Gary Patterson and TCU, uh, that I think there's any kind of advantage that the Horn Frogs have other than Ohio State doesn't have their head coach. But that's in week three. Yeah, uh, and, I, and I would just say that uh, with all due respect to Paul Feinbaum, and he's not the only one that has said that, uh, I don't think there's any chance Urban Meyer leaves. And Ohio State and their administration, which also has egg on their face, I mean, their school president and their ADs are, are sitting there looking weak and feeble, and there was no question who the most powerful person on that stage was. It was Urban Meyer, not the school president, not the AD, which goes back to one of my original points. If you want to criticize Gene Smith for being a, an idiot or not a very good AD, that's, that's your prerogative. If you want to criticize him for not firing Urban Meyer – then you don't know how big time college football works because if you have a hall of fame football coach, he is more powerful than the AD and the school president. Uh, he is the one that can have you lose your job. If you take him down, there's a good chance you're going down with him. Uh, that fan base. I don't like, uh, characterizing a fan base based on message boards, Twitter, you know, you had like a hundred and something people, protesting in defense of urban Meyer while this is all going on a hundred and something people. And of course, nowadays, any, any knucklehead that that doesn't have a job can go there and, and put a picket sign up and protest anything. And some TV camera is going to, going to get it and make it look like that is some kind of huge groundswell of support. Well, Columbus is a very big city folks. This is not some small hick college town. It, Columbus is a huge market. And there are a lot of Ohio State fans. I heard a lot of them calling Paul Feinbaum that actually don't excuse Urban Meyer for what he did. Doesn't mean they immediately jump to firing him, but they don't make excuses for him. They don't like the way he handled it. They don't necessarily even think he's a good person. But where you stop short is, do you fire him? And all I say to anyone who's saying, Oh, Ohio State clearly doesn't have the ethics and the values that we do. Just for a moment, ask yourself, if you had that kind of program and that kind of coach, would you immediately jump to firing or would you say, I don't like him? I don't think he's a good human being. I think he handled this poorly. I think he should be reprimanded. But do I want to fire him? And that is what every diehard, passionate college football slash basketball fan, because those are the two sports that carry the freight financially. They're also the two sports that typically have the most scandals. Uh, and at some point fan bases are confronted with these type of kind of moral dilemmas. And, and what we love about college football, JC is what we love the passion. We love the fanaticism, but we also see the dark side of it when scandals like this happen. And I think people just completely, you, you look for any type of plausible deniability gray area, anything you can to find an excuse to hold on to that coach that wins you championships that makes you so happy as an alum or as just a fan of the particular program. And I think this was just, this was chapter and verse of all of those things. And this is going to happen again in some other form at some other university with some really, really good head coach. And again, you're going to be faced with, do you have the stones to go ahead and fire him? just completely end that chapter a great point was made and i can't remember who made it 
And I apologize because I like to attribute things. I don't like to steal people's takes and segments because I've, I've had that done to me enough over the years myself. Um, but the point was part of the reason why you can blame Ohio State for not firing uh, Urban Meyer is that there just aren't a whole lot of great co- college football coaches out there. I mean, think about it. Like, if you fire Urban Meyer, who are you going to get? And that's the way these schools and ADs and fan bases think about stuff. It doesn't mean you should think about it. It doesn't change the, the ethical side of this. But that's the way they look at it. Like, okay, who are we going to get? And you, you look at it, JC. I mean, how many coaches in college football are truly game changers, right? I mean, are truly guys that the moment they leave – there's going to be a, a fairly big drop off. There's a stat in major league baseball. It's called war wins above replacement. And don't ask me how they compute it, but basically they can take a player like Mike trout and say his war is 8.5, which means any other guy at his position, if you plugged him in or the average person, in his position, you plugged him in. Mike trout is worth eight and a half more victories than the other guy. Well, to put that, that stat into context for college football war wins above replacement. I mean, you got Nick Saban, you got urban Meyer, you got, I mean, you, you, you start, the list starts getting short after that, right? Like you, you start with those couple of names, the only two guys, the only two active guys to have multiple national championships that are head coaches of, of division one college football teams. And then, yeah, there's a lot of other good coaches, but not guys that necessarily are program changers. Uh, so I, I would just leave it on that. And, and it's just a, an interesting point that I think it was my, it might've been Mike Bianchi who wrote it. And I don't agree with everything Mike Bianchi says, but I thought it was an interesting take that I hadn't seen anywhere else. And that is, there's just not a whole lot of other, you can't just plug and play an, another head coach and have the same results. You, you can't, no matter what you think of them personally, a, a guy like urban Meyer is head and shoulders above 99% of the head football coaches out there based on his track record, based on his ability to recruit, based on his in-game adjustments. He has that it factor that very few other guys do. Yeah, especially right now. I mean, you look at it, Mike, you know, four coaches have won national titles that are active in the game now. Uh, that's Nick Saban. He's won, uh, you know, six. Urban's won three. And then Dabo Sweeney and Jimbo Fisher have won um, – one one apiece. Imagine that. Imagine you're sitting around and, you know, the four guys, you know, that have won national titles are named Nick, Jimbo, Dabo, and Urban. <laughs> Who would have thought that? Who would have thought that? Who would have thought there are 126 other Division One schools that have a head coach that never won a national title? Yeah, it's it's amazing. <laughs> to your point, you're absolutely right. You know I, what I hate about the the social media mob these days is you look at, you know let's say on Twitter and and there are a lot of people on Twitter voicing their opinion obviously and and I, I don't understand what these days why Twitter causes institutions to make moves. Um, businesses, politics, whatever that they see, you know, hundreds of or, or thousands of people on Twitter, you know, with pitchforks, um, and they don't understand it. It still represents a very, very small portion of the population. It, it, mm-hmm. it, it's not, it's not real uh, just yet. But you look and you can see who has an opinion. You know, you, you know the guy that has Jim Harbaugh in his uh, Twitter avatar. 
or that says go blue or that's any kind of SEC fan or that's a Florida fan or whoever that hates Urban Meyer, it's the absolute worst. Urban Meyer should have been fired. Ohio State has no morals, blah, 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 blah. Zach wife is a white. They should throw him under the jailhouse, even though he's never been tried for domestic violence and abuse. I mean, you know, this was a cover-up. All Ohio State cares about is winning. Okay, then the Ohio State people are on the exact opposite. Well, you know, or Urban one that, you know, he didn't get, you know, so, so it becomes this whole back and forth with um, nothing, uh, nothing at all based in reality and the facts of the situation. Do I think Zach Smith is a clown? Yes. Do I think his ex-wife is lying about the abuse? No, I tend to not. But I have, I did not witness it happen. And there has not been a lawsuit from what I have seen. Uh, do I think Zach Smith should have been fired a long time ago? And do I think that, you know, a buzzword political term of these days, his privilege being Earl Bruce's grandson kept him employed? Absolutely. There's no question about it. Urban Meyer would have fired another coach so Five fast. Times. So fast it wouldn't have even happened. Do I think Urban Meyer's loyalty got the best of him? Yes. Do I think the optics on the press conference uh, were bad because they appeared to be callous and, and disingenuous? Absolutely. Um, do I think he deserved to be fired at the end of the day? Not yet. And, and I say, and, and I say that because I think I think Ohio State was looking for a reason to keep him, you know, rather than a reason mm-hmm. to fire him. Um, mm-hmm. You know, unless more information comes to light. Uh, I think the important thing. Uh, is for people to kind of put football aside and, and you know, if you're a praying person, pray for Courtney Smith and her family, pray for Zach Smith to get help. If you're not, if you if you do yoga or, or, or whatever or any kind of uh, thoughtfulness or mindfulness, keep these people in your thoughts because they, uh, they need it. Um, and there's a human element to it beyond football. And it just amazes me that human beings – uh, tend to just care about it so much that any kind of situation like this, they gravitate toward their tribes. Um, and uh, it's all based on heroes and villains within the scheme of a sport where, you know, quite frankly, you don't really get to know coaches uh, like you used to. So I, I, I think that's kind of a sad commentary on both ends in terms of how the fans reacted. But you're right, 73-8 and eight is 73-8. and eight. A national championship and an undefeated season is a national championship and an undefeated season. The Big Ten titles are the Big Ten titles. Um, you know, uh, you can't uh, you can't argue with that. And also, uh, keep in mind, Urban Meyer is an Ohio guy. And, and there's a lot of pride in that state for football and, and probably a lot of pride at Ohio State uh, that he's their head coach and, and not still coaching in Gainesville or South Bend or, or wherever. So, We'll see what happens there. I, I still think Ohio State's going to have an awfully good football team. I think Ryan Day is an awfully good football coach who will be a head coach someday. Um, and, and we'll see what happens these first three games. Well said. And we'll, we'll put a, a period on that sentence, uh, hopefully, for the rest of the year. And we can actually start talking about players, coaches, and games. Something extraordinary has happened to Judy Sizemore's closet, making it feel more like a closet. 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 An area that once caused claustrophobia now has enough space Space, space. to hold all of Judy's striped boat neck sweaters. And Judy Sizemore has a lot of striped Striped, striped, boat neck sweaters. sweaters. The Container Store Custom Closet Sale is here with up to 25% off all systems, including Alpha, through October 13th. The Container Store, where space comes from.
happening. Whoa, Tina, what are you doing in my car? Space is here now. No closet will be left behind. Did you say closet? Yes, the Container Store custom closets are up to 25% off. It doesn't matter the size or shape. Space is coming to them all. You're not serious. Space isn't a joke, Jess. How long do we have? Through October 13th. All right, buckle up. The Container Store Custom Closet Sale is here with up to 25% off all systems, including Alpha. The Container Store, where space comes from. In another context, and let's do that. The context of we had a couple of quarterback races in the SEC that kind of came down to the very end. And one of them was Texas A&M. You know, Texas A&M and LSU... Uh, are, are somewhat different and that LSU has been the program that consistently has been pretty good on defense and the missing link has been the, the quarterback uh, position and, and just having an offense doesn't look like they're playing back in 1982. And for Texas A&M, uh, they've been able to put up points even with some lackluster quarterback play, but the, you know, the, the moniker of being soft, not, not figuring out anything on defense. Well, they, they take one of the top defensive coordinators in the country away from Notre Dame and they still have athletes and they you have to feel like if they can figure it out with Jimbo Fisher at the quarterback spot maybe they're ready to take the next level I did not think Kellen Mond was going to win this job JC and I know you have followed him throughout the recruiting process there's been comparisons uh, of, of him to DeAndre Francois of Florida State they have a similar background in IMG uh, but this is a young man that really struggled last year, and it wasn't just in the opening game. If you remember, it seems like five years ago they blew a 44-10 lead to UCLA, right? I mean, that doesn't seem like it was one year ago, but it was. And in that game, he was 3 for 17 for 27 yards. Uh, and, of course, eventually they had the – it wasn't the fault of Kellen Mond, but they had the biggest uh, debacle in, in program history, blowing a 34-point lead with with 19 minutes to play but it, it, it if you take the sample size to what he did in power against power five opponents uh completion percentage under 50 i think it was 47 percent to be exact he averaged just five and a half yards per pass attempt now we know he can run but he did not look good in the seven games against let's just say decent to good competition against power five teams so what should we expect that's different now other than the fact that he's going to be led by a guy who's kind of known as a quarterback whisperer, which Kellen Mond should we expect to see in 2018? Well, what I think you're going to see, and what I think is fascinating about it is, um, you know, first and foremost, Jimbo Fisher is not going to start a guy uh, within his offensive scheme, which I do believe now will be tweaked a bit, that he doesn't feel can drop back, make the reads, make the right decisions. I mean, decision-making is everything. Um, at the same time, you know, if Mond can do that, and, and a lot of players get better, you know, between freshman and sophomore year, and you know, quite frankly, I I I, I don't know that he wasn't got. I, I don't know that he got poor coaching because Noel Mazzoni was there, who's a a quarterback guru. Maybe maybe Jimbo kind of coached him up. Maybe it's just that he's older. I think what he gives you is some wheels ability to make plays in the run game. Um, I don't think he, he, he's DeAndre Francois. I, I, I don't think coming out of high school he had that kind of arm. Francois was very consistent with his arm um, and was somewhat mobile but not extremely mobile. Uh, therefore, it didn't surprise me when Francois won the job at FSU 
um, over the guy that's uh, on the show you like on Netflix, Last Chance You. Yes, Remember, love it. So, so that guy, that cat was the five star Calif- Malik Henry, five star California stud, and oh, he's great. And Francois was a kid from Orlando that was kind of an afterthought, and um, and did go to IMG his senior year. Uh so they took Francois, and they're like, oh, but but you know Malik Henry, blah blah blah. Malik Henry gets there, he can't hold a candle to Francois. In fact, he wasn't even. I don't think third team left. Whatever. Um. And I thought at the time, not to toot my own horn, and I thought that Malik Henry was a very special high school player, that Francois just fit because he could throw the ball consistently. That's what made Jameis Winston such a great quarterback for Jimbo Fisher. It wasn't just his mobility and toughness and the fact he had a cannon. He could do it. He could see it down the field and do it. I don't know what's wrong with him now in the NFL, but he could do it within the scheme of that offense, and he was fearless. I think Kellen Mond kind of brings that to the table. 6'2", 210, good athlete. Um, the passing game just, just kind of wasn't his strength last year. And so that's my question. And we're going to find out here pretty soon because they, they kick it off a few hours from now before, you know, while we're sitting here taping this against Northwestern State of Louisiana. So, so we're going to get to see him play. Um, but I'm fascinated to see it within the scheme of Jimbo Fisher's offense, number one, what kind of spread principles does he employ? Um, what kind of quarterback run game does he employ? Is it different than what he did at Florida State? Um, and then, you know, how Kellen Mond is throwing the football. I, I thought, and, and I guess, you know, sometimes I'll watch games and a, a player will not be, obviously not be playing well, but I can see the potential. You know, I'm like, well, you know, he's a freshman, so next year he can clean this up and clean this up. And so I tend to project, and I'll admit, when I said I thought Kellen Mond was the fifth best quarterback in the SEC, I had my doubts that he was going to win the job. I thought I thought mm-hmm. he may lose it and transfer, but uh, he'll I don't know, like he'll be good elsewhere. But he he did have sort of an it factor. Struggled mightily at times, but always kind of bounced back. Tough year for the Aggies overall. But I, I you know, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see kind of how that works out. Also, you know, great article on ESPN.com today talking about Texas A&M paying silly money for coaches. Um, and they did do this one other time back in the early 80s uh, and um, drew the ire of academic professors all over the country. You know, the, the sports are killing us. And that was when they hired Jackie Sherrill away from Pitt. Paid him a million a year, made him the first millionaire coach. Of course, Jackie Sherrill's assistant, R.C. Slocum, ends up being the, the, the winningest coach in school history uh, after they got rid of Sherrill, and Sherrill went on to a good closeout to his career at Mississippi State. But, you know, I, after researching this and kind of digging into the history of Texas A&M, uh, and I know I said A&M would be that next team on the verge, they've just never done it, Mike. And they've never been shy about spending money and bringing this Bear Bryant coach there, for goodness sake. So I, I, you know, I think they can get there. I think they can be, you know, the, 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 in the big, in the, make it of the big seven in the SEC, which are basically the, it's the big six. It's the six teams that, you know, have won national titles and have a, have a shot, legit shot to do that. Um, but, but I, I'm starting to question it after really digging into their history, 
looking at the fact they've done this before, they've always had money at that school, they've always had players at that school. Now they hadn't had the SEC, so maybe that kind of right. you know brings them forward. We don't know what's going to happen at Texas, but I, I just uh, I, I think there's a lot of things that are going to be interesting uh, about this investment that they've made. Uh, with Jimbo Fisher. I know one of four guys that has a national title. You can't argue with that, but I just think it's uh, it's interesting when you look at their history and kind of how things have gone and how things haven't worked out um, to see if it will. But, I, you know, I, I kind of thought it was a gutsy call to, to name Kellen Mond the starter, and we'll find out, you know, how he looks at least in his debut under Jimbo uh, here in a few hours. You know, it, it, admittedly, um Number one, I applaud Texas A&M on the hire of Jimbo Fisher. That took, yeah, it took a lot of money, but it also took it, it took some brass cojones to make all that happen, to be as aggressive as they were. To, I mean, they stayed on it for a while, uh, and eventually they got a guy who was in a pretty good spot, who had already won a national title there, to get up and leave. Something I didn't really think was going to happen for the longest time, up until talking to some of my Florida State folks. Uh, down here, actually, while I'm sitting here uh, in, in South Florida, who know that program very well, some of whom give money to that program, uh, and got tired of hearing Jimbo constantly complain about facilities, complain about how things are done at other places and not done right here. Uh, that All that kind of chipped away, that and $75 million. Now, look, truth be told, I'm. we mentioned those four national championship coaches, I have respect for Jimbo Fisher, but I don't put him in the category of Nick Saban, Urban Meyer, or even Davo Sweeney. I, I know he's won a national title. I just, I, if, you, if you were to give me the choice of those four coaches, he's number four on that list for me. I, I don't know if he is a, I'm tempted to say, like, if Texas A&M can't do it with Jimbo Fisher, who are they going to do it with? And when I say do it, I mean win a national title or at least play for one. But I don't know if that's even fair because, you know, maybe down the line if they spend, uh, 85 million they'll get the next Nick Saban I don't know but I, I your your points are valid obviously there is a distinction there is A&M pre-SEC and post-SEC now that can work well that's a double-edged sword because you could say well now we're SEC so now you know we couldn't get over the hump for all those years despite spending all that money uh, but now we can because we're in the SEC. Or you can look at it as we just we just inherited a spot in the toughest division in college football more years than not, and that's going to prevent us. I mean, we're just going to spin our wheels. Even if we're getting better, we're still not getting better in terms of championships. I think all those things come into play. I will say this. Anybody who watched the uh, 30 for 30 on SMU, you know, yeah, Texas A&M spent a lot of money, and everybody knows how football recruiting was done in the state of Texas back in the 1980s. It was the wild, wild west. And while we don't think everybody, there's not a bunch of choir boys in recruiting in big-time college football now, things uh, exchange hands. We all know this. We don't. I don't think we try and pretend it doesn't happen. Uh, but it, it was nothing like it was then. So A&M might have been spending a lot of money, but Texas might have been spending more or mm-hmm. Baylor or, you know, or, or insert program. Everybody but Rice was 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 spending a boatload of money in that state uh, to buy themselves players and and wins. Well, that's been obviously cut down. You can't do it like you used to do it. Cats out of the bag. 
So just having a bunch of money alone doesn't necessarily get you in the game. It helps. It helps. As I always say, we are in a new classification of college football. It's not power five versus group of five. Power five is the new one a group of five is the new one double a. And if you don't believe me, go watch a game at Southern Miss. Go watch a game at North Texas or Arkansas State or Central Michigan. Those programs don't have a prayer of ever competing the way the Power Five schools do because the money differential is so humongous that it's like watching the varsity and the JV. But A&M's got all that going for them now. And I think a lot of A&M fans do look at like at the situation and say, we got our guy. We got our once-in-a-generation guy in Jimbo Fisher, a guy with a great winning percentage, a guy with a national title, a guy who knows how to coach quarterbacks. And they're saying, if we can't do it with this guy, who are we going to do it with? And that's going to be the pressure that's on that program, not necessarily this year. I think the expectations are, are tempered this season for A&M. But, but fast forward to, say, year three under Jimbo, they're not going to expect to be predicted fourth in the SEC West and go, that's okay. I mean, we're still, we're still going to be a top 25 program maybe by the end of the year, and we're going to get to a tier two bowl game. That ain't going to be enough, not at $75 million. So I'm with you. It's going to be very, very interesting to watch. That's a reality show in itself. What is $75 million for a head coach at a program that has spent over $100 million in facility upgrades the last few years? What does that get you exactly? Uh, and I think we're all kind of curious and waiting to see. But one thing we do know, we know who their quarterback is going to be, at least for week one. <laughs> it's going to be Kellen Mond, and we'll, we'll see if that changes. The other one, of course, was uh, was LSU. There was some questions where they would go. And uh, Coach O, he ripped off his shirt, he pounded his chest, and he said, I want Burrow. And so that's going to be the guy. <laughs> the son of the Ohio University defensive coordinator, Jimmy Burrow. Uh, they've got themselves their quarterback in Joe Burrow. And this gives you an idea of just where quarterbacking has been at LSU the last few years. They're pinning their hopes on a guy who played uh, all of 10 games, no starts for Ohio State, completed 29 passes for 287 yards. And he beat out uh, essentially a, a bunch of guys who had already been in the program. So, you know, hats off to, to Joe Burrow for winning the job. He's going to have talented running backs, although not the likes of Darius Geis in terms of experience. He's going to have uh, another quality offensive line. LSU usually has pretty salty guys on defense. So he's going to have some talent around him, but so have all the other quarterbacks at LSU in the last 10 years that have not really played uh, a major role in success. So, We'll see how this is any different than the kind of the movie we've been seeing in Baton Rouge for a while now. You know, here's the thing about Joe Burrow. I think that there's, you know, yeah, you look at him and it's, well, you know, he was the third team quarterback last year because Haskins kind of moved past him. He was the backup the year before, limited action. But this kid's good. He's a good player, son of a coach. Very good in high school. Has some wheels so he can run. And, and allegedly, allegedly, <laughs> Ensminger is going to kind of run the quarterback some, throw it a lot, use their talent to their advantage at the skill positions, uh, which would make it great if they did have, um, you know, one of their better running backs that they normally have. 
and I think he is a better choice than anyone else there. The two guys that left in particular, and then, um, of course, the guy, the kid, the Miles Brennan kid who has a good arm. Um, you South Carolina fans will remember this name. He reminds me a bit of Blake Mitchell from back in the Holtz and Spurrier era, uh, meaning he needs to kind of fill out, learn the game, all that. His dad didn't help him by going to the newspaper and complaining when they signed Burrow. Um, I think Joe Burrow could make this LSU team and this LSU season, Mike, not a disaster. Um, because I think that with with a green Brennan, uh, with no franchise running back, and with what they want to do with Insminger calling the plays now on offense or what they say they want to do, because what Mike Canada did at Pitt was a lot different than what Mike Canada did at LSU. Um, I don't know whose fault that is, but uh, Ed Orgeron's the head coach. So um, I, I think this solidifies that offense in a way that, you know, it could have been really, really ugly otherwise. And, and you know they're always going to be pretty good on defense. They have one of the best defensive coordinators in the country, and uh, obviously their personnel is always good. Uh, I'm going to be – Fired up to see the Miami game Sunday night and to see what happens. Um, I think Miami's really good. Uh, They, too, have quarterback issues. Um, But LSU has talent, and and if they can win that game and they can kind of get behind Burrow, then I think we could see LSU finish third in the SEC West, particularly uh, with the news that uh, Nick Fitzgerald, number one, is suspended. And number two, isn't throwing the ball well or setting his feet. Something Joe Moorhead said the other day, um, that was my key with Mississippi State this year. They may be good enough on defense, it doesn't matter, is Joe Moorhead's offense is fundamentally different than Dan Mullen's. And you got to be kind of a you – know, Trace McSorley's really good in it because he's a precision passer, very fundamentally sound, and he can run around a little bit. Fitzgerald is like Matt Jones that used to play at Arkansas. Essentially. Great analogy. You know, I mean, so imagine trying to fit. Matt Jones played wide receiver in the NFL. You know, there's mm-hmm. a reason Tim Tebow, although no one will ever forget the game-winning pass he threw in the playoffs for the Broncos, which shows you what kind of clutch competitor he was, there's a reason he's not on an NFL roster. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and if you think about it, uh, number one, Matt Jones would have been a hell of a quarterback in Dan Mullen's offense. Um, and number two, you know, Tim Tebow did come from Dan Mullen's offense. Now, that's not to say that, you know, Alex Smith, who basically came to the same system, I mean, he's lasted a while in the league, and, and, and there's other, you know, things you can do. But I, I, I think that you can get by with not being the best passer in the world on the college level and run Mullen's slash Myers offense and be fine. I, I, in systems like Moorheads, though, that's going to be a problem. So that, that gives me pause a bit on Mississippi State uh, with regards to them. And, and, you know, an LSU's improved situation brings them up, and then Kellen Mond and A&M of the wild card. And, and, and it's still an Auburn-Alabama world. Oh, and, yeah. And the, Everybody and, else and, is living in it. Right. Everybody else in that, in that division uh, and maybe the conference as a whole will see if, if Georgia – uh, can can withstand some of the losses they had from a year ago. Most people think they can, but but yeah, I, I think to go back to your point on Mississippi State, there are people that are predicting Mississippi State to win ten, eleven games this year. Uh, like like not like 
not fans, like people in the media, like people that follow college football for a living because they have a ridiculously talented front four, their defense overall, very staunch. Uh, they have, they have some good players, uh, at the skill positions and Fitzgerald is a, I mean, look, he is a, a highlight guy. He is a, he is a headliner. He's a freakish athlete, but I'm with you. I mean, at some point, you know, in the Dan Mullen era, if Mississippi state went eight and four, everybody said he did a great job. And in a lot of ways they were right. And that's why Dan Mullen's in Gainesville right now with a, with a raise and with a kind of, as some people would say kind of a promotion of sorts, because people on the whole believe that Florida is a job. that's easier to win big at than Mississippi state. I think even some Mississippi state fans would tell you that, but Joe Moorhead walks into this position in a, in a, in a weird spot because he's not replacing a coach that got fired coming off a four and eight campaign. He's inheriting a team that a lot of people think is one of, if not the most talented that Dan Mullen would have had, had he stayed in Starkville and you got a quarterback in Fitzgerald that some people believe could be a Heisman trophy candidate. I'm not one of those people <laughs> and I love the kid and I love watching him play, but I am of the opinion that at some point, he has got to be a better passer, and I don't think we've seen that yet. And obviously, Joe Moorhead wants to see that. And as you pointed out properly at, at Penn State, they didn't just kind of they didn't run the same offense. Let's put it that uh, way. No, nah, you, right? you have to be an accurate passer. They you have to be. Yes, yes. And and McSorley, while he can run, is an accurate passer. And so I. I'm cautiously optimistic with Mississippi state. I, I, I'm not like, I'm not where everybody that, that was the in vogue thing to, to say and pick during sec media days. Who's your surprise team? Who's your surprise team? Who's your, everybody seemed like was on the Mississippi state bandwagon. And that would scare me a little bit. That would scare me a little bit because uh, again, at some point when, when uh, defense coordinators in this league are pretty good. Okay. And when they've got that much time to scout you and they feel like you're a one-dimensional guy, they can bottle you up pretty good if they got the personnel. And there's a lot of de- defenses on that schedule that do have the personnel. So uh, I, I think it's going to be a, a very interesting year in Starkville because, again, eight and four is not going to be considered a good year for Joe Moorhead because of what he inherited and because of Nick Fitzgerald, who a lot of people just see past the fact that he hasn't proven to be a, a great passer. And they just see the freakishly good athlete who's tall and rangy and can run like the wind. So I think I think that'll be a very um, uh, enticing thing to watch throughout the year, as particularly when we get into conference play. Uh, and that pretty much solves that the quarterback riddles, right? I mean, we know Florida went with Felipe Franks by default. Uh, Tennessee is, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you you want to take that one? I mean, I don't know what to say about that. One. I mean, it, it, it looks like Garantano, um, or the reports were Garantano was gonna gonna be the guy, but you know, then then you hear some talk that Keller Christ is gonna be the guy. I, I um, yeah, I, I did go back and see Garantano during the Vol spring game. Um, did think he looked more comfortable than he did during the regular season last year. Mike, I just don't know that the guy's the answer. I, I, I never have been high on him as a recruit. 
Uh, he's he's one of those hyped guys that I call an internet creation because he didn't really throw over that many yards in high school, wasn't really a big playmaker, but would go to camp and he'd look good out there in his shorts and shirt, chunking it around the yard. Uh, I think that was it was telling that um, you know Butch Jones and his staff were that high on him. That maybe tells you a little bit about kind of some things Butch Jones did. And, and I thought he looked absolutely horrible last year uh, when he played. Um, and, and I and I felt like you know the the fans because he was rated highly thought well this guy could step in and start as a freshman or, or whatever. So <laughs> I don't know. Uh, if I'm Jeremy Pruitt, uh, depending on what I think of Keller Christ, uh, I may end up playing him. But, I, you know, who knows? It, it, it's one of those things that can go either way. I, now, as a recruit, as not high as I was on Garantano, I was probably way too high on Keller Christ. Um, I thought he was a top-five player in the country, had an outstanding high school film. He could throw the ball. I was beyond surprised that things did not work out for him at Stanford. Uh, still think he's a talent. Still think he could be serviceable this year, probably. Um, you know, Tennessee, no matter who plays at QB, Mike, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think they're going to have to run the ball and play defense this year uh, in a lot of those games <laughs> yeah. and try to have some time of possession and, and, and all that good stuff, and we'll see what happens. But, yeah, that thing hasn't been decided um, and quite frankly, if I'm Jeremy Pruitt, I'm not, I'm not letting West Virginia's defensive staff know because, you know, they kind of bring a little bit of, uh, they, I'm not going to say they're different styles, but they bring a little bit of different wrinkle, uh, to the offense. Garantano, a little more mobile, Chris more of the drop back passer. Here, here, here's the question for the ages. You ready for this one? Mm-hmm. Who ha- who finishes with a higher passer rating this year, Garantano or Felipe Franks? Mm. <sighs> <laughs> did, I, 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 did I just fry your brain with that one? I mean, goodness, I, think about that. Because neither one of them looked like an SEC quarterback last year. I just think Mullen's looking at 6'5", 220, and power run game with the quarterback. Florida, yeah. Florida I don't want to call them loaded, but they're a little loaded at running back. And, and they have good receivers like Van Jefferson and Tyree Cleveland that can – make plays on the perimeter. They've got good skill guys. Their offensive line, which seems like it's been a work in progress since, gosh, 2009, which really their entire program has been since 2009. Um, You know, they've got some pieces if they can find a guy to just get it done. And Franks has a strong arm, so maybe what they do, they run, you know, some read option kind of stuff and run him up the middle with the power run game of the quarterback and pound it with Jordan Scarlett and um, uh, Malik Davis, who I like a lot, and then try to get the ball on the perimeter to their speed guys. Maybe that's how they're playing. Florida's got a favorable schedule. they got time to work it out, but um, I agree. Last year was not pretty uh, for Franks. And and honestly, Mike, I, I – you know, he was between – he was committed to LSU for a long time, which I don't know what that means. Um, and then ended up signing with Florida. And I felt like both of those were good choices for him because when I watched him, I thought he was a pro-style guy. Um, and there is there is one comparison. When Mullen was at Mississippi State early, he had a guy named Tyler Russell, very highly oh, yeah. touted guy but was not really a good fit for their offense. Still, 
Tyler Russell was his quarterback. They kind of scraped it together. Uh, had had a decent run there, and then then that was it. That he ended up getting you know better guys, but uh, or better suited guys. So so I don't know. You know I I, I definitely think if he, he wants to, I don't. You know I thought Kyle Trask on film was really good coming out of high school. So I, uh, but he's really not a mobile guy. Uh, and then you got Emory Jones, who's a mobile guy, who you know probably isn't the best passer right now. So kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. I think Mullen just said, all right. Let's give it to the six foot five, two hundred thirty, two hundred forty pound kid with the big cannon. And if worse comes to worse, and we can't complete a pass, we'll just uh, run him until his legs fall off. Run the running backs, do some misdirection, and then chunk it deep, uh, like he did against Tennessee to win the game with no time on the clock last year. He does look great walking off the bus. Yeah. There's no, I mean, Felipe Franks is at a central casting in terms of body and arm. But man, that he just—he looked like a guy that was completely lost last year. And I'm not even sure if he's that fast. I mean, he doesn't look—he's not Fitzgerald fast at all. Like he—he's not that kind of runner. He—he's big enough where he can just run it up the gut and in Mullen's offense. And but but he's—you know what I mean? I mean, I I I just I I don't know where he fits exactly. I'll say this too, and going back to what they are as high school recruits. I felt the same way in high school when I or when Cam when Cam Newton was in high school, felt the same way about him. Mm-hmm. I was like, this guy just doesn't understand that. I mean, yeah, multiple staffs wanted to turn him into a tight end. Then he goes to Florida. Then he goes to a junior college where he like fixes something with his fundamentals of passing. The Blinn um, Buccaneers, baby, and uh, comes back and was one of the most dominant players in college football. I will say this, though, that the difference in the two coming out of high school, because believe it or not, yours truly was the only analyst in the country. I worked for Rivals.com at the time. They've been a competitor of mine since 2007, but I worked for Rivals at the time. We were the only ones in the country that had him as a five-star out of Westlake High School in Atlanta, and I'll tell you why we did it. So he was in an all-star game, and he and Steven Garcia were the two quarterbacks on the East team. Uh, Des Bryant was in that game as well, by the way. Mm. Uh, so was uh, the Hayden kid that played at Florida that was so good. Um, some good players. Des Bryant especially. That kind of – it's kind of weird. Um, but, you know, so so Newton was up and down throwing the ball all week. We, kind of good arm strength like Franks. Well, then there was a couple of plays he took off to run. And same size as Felipe Franks, no doubt probably five times more fluid of an athlete. In other words, change of direction, um, instincts, quick cutting, that type of thing. Um, And and I just don't know that Franks, in that kind of situation, open field run game is going to be ideal because, like you said, he's not even Nick Fitzgerald uh, in in the run department. Um, So I would tend to – you know, I, I'm just trying to give the kid a benefit of the doubt because he was a true freshman last year in a terrible pedestrian offense. But I don't, I don't think he's going to be Cam Newton. Uh, I think he's probably going to be somewhere closer to Tyler Russell. But Florida have, has enough pieces in place to where I think they can put some points on the board um, if he can just kind of manage it and, and not completely mess it up. Yeah, and all that's fair. Like, I mean, just because a kid has a bad year as a first-year starter <clears throat> at quarterback doesn't mean he can't turn it around. There have been 
certainly several examples of that. Uh, so, you know, look, wish him well. Wish Guarantano well. Wish wish all these kids well that are coming off less than stellar campaigns. Um, and again, top to bottom, the SEC from a quarterback standpoint is in terrific shape. It, it is a it, it's going to be a banner year when you start looking at Alabama's got two guys that can play the position well. Georgia's got one, Vanderbilt's got one, Missouri's got one, Ole Miss has got one. I mean, there's a lot of good quarterbacks in this league this year. There's just some premier programs that they could either win ten games. Or they could win five, depending on whether or not these quarterbacks turn out to be uh, legitimate or really struggle. Before we get into a couple other things, including, of course, this week's premier matchups, want to mention our one of our sponsors, BP Skinner Clothiers. You know, they think your look should be as unique as you are. So whether you're looking for a custom look or a consultant to help you build your wardrobe, their team at BP Skinner is here to help. I speak firsthand from that standpoint. It's where I get all, not only my suits, but custom shirts, accessories. That's where so many coaches and uh, TV personalities and everybody from all walks of life, anybody who's found out the difference that Brent Skinner can make, they are on board. That's why people all across the country use the services of BP Skinner Clothiers. And you can too by simply going to the website, bpskinnerclothiers.com. You'll see the phone number on there right under the contact icon. Hit that, give them a call, say, I want Brent to take care of me. I want to go ahead and look my very best. And I'm ready to have somebody provide me with a level of personalized service that has become rare today, but is something that they certainly offer. And he will come to you, have a consultation, improve your wardrobe, get the fittings done. The rest is in his hands. You don't have to do anything else. So go ahead and check him out. That's BP Skinner Clothiers. Brent Skinner and the gang do a tremendous job. JC, um, I wanted to hit this real quick because I thought it was interesting. Before we get to the games, which everybody's waiting for the games. We all waiting for the games. Interesting article on ESPN.com. This goes to the, the point that, that I've been drilling home now for a while. And, and I, I say this not to take away the passion from the other uh, 100 or so fan bases across the country. Because we still love college football, even if our team is not uh, playing for a national championship, right? I mean, if, if your only reason for being passionate about college football in your school is because they they're playing for a national title or the college football playoff, then you're not being very realistic. I mean, you're, you're kind of living a spoiled life at that point. But the fact of the matter is we've reached a point now. It's not just like a one, two year span where the same dozen teams are, have a chance at it. And the rest of them don't. And, you know, even now we're talking about the same schools for the playoff. We're talking what we're talking Clemson. We're talking Alabama. We're talking Washington. We're talking Ohio State, talking Georgia, et cetera. So uh, they actually did, and I don't know what kind of data goes in here, and honestly, I don't really care, but according to ESPN Analytics, there are 19 teams with at least a 1% chance of reaching the playoff, 14 of which have at least a 1% chance at winning at all. This kind of goes in line with what I've been saying. I mean, there's really only a dozen teams that even have a chance. Well, according to their computer calculations, they actually have 14. Now, everybody knows the top ones, right? But I thought the interesting part was the bottom ones. Number 14, Stanford. Chance to make the playoff, 5%. Chance to win it, 1%. Of course, the key there, Bryce Love. Bryce Love, Bryce Love, Bryce Love. 
if Washington, you know, if Washington gets thumped by Auburn and maybe they lose their confidence and maybe they uh, just start to go downhill and have a disappointing year, that paves the way for Stanford. So I could see that. Number 13, Miami, 7% chance to make the playoff. Number 12 is Michigan at 7%. I'd actually give Michigan a better than 7% chance. Mm-hmm. Um, especially, uh, you know, I'm a believer in Shea Patterson, so I, I, I think if Michigan could beat Notre Dame in one of the biggest games of the weekend, no doubt, Michigan definitely has a chance. Wisconsin, chance to make the playoff, 11%. Chance to win the title, 2%. Michigan State, 15%. That's number 10 so the top 10 are Michigan State, 15%. This is a chance to make the playoff. Much lower to actually win it all. Number nine, Auburn, 17%. Number eight, Penn State, 21%. Number seven, Oklahoma, the one Big 12 school, uh, 23%. Number six, Ohio State, even with the Urban Meyer suspension, 37% chance of making the playoff. Number five is Washington, 41 Number four is Notre Dame at 42 and they've got a brutal schedule, but if they get out of there eleven and one somehow, and I don't think they will, then they're they're going to get in at eleven and one. But again, that's a big if. Number three is Georgia, at forty five percent. Number two, Alabama at forty seven, and the number one chance to make a playoff at sixty six percent, and a twenty four percent chance of winning it all, the Clemson Tigers. Well, I mean, you look at Clemson's schedule, they get by A&M in week two, which they're a better team than Texas A&M by a, by a long a long way. Um, you know, who's going to beat them, Mike? I mean, you know, could they trip up in Tallahassee? That's Maybe. the one. That's it. I mean, that's, that's what you're looking at if you ask me. And that's on paper. And I, But I'll say this, and I, and I said this on – uh, my South Carolina podcast earlier today. I agree with Dabo Sweeney that it 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 minimizes the accomplishments that his program has made when people continue to refer to Clemson Clemsoning. But, but this program has lost four games in three seasons. Okay, Pittsburgh, Syracuse, and two to Alabama. Mm-hmm. What what are the Pittsburgh and Syracuse losses if not Clemsoning? I mean, and I know why they lost to Pittsburgh. And, and, you know, Matt Canada had a great game plan, and and there were some turnovers. And, you know, Pittsburgh just had the ball last. Um, And I thought it was – yeah. I generally think Clemson has excellent play calling, but I thought the decision to run the football late that gave Pitt the ball back kind of bit them in the butt. And they lost to Syracuse last year. <clears throat> in an ambush, which every time a team like Florida State or Clemson or Virginia Tech goes up to Syracuse uh, or one of the other teams up there on a Friday night uh, and loses, I'm just going to continue to chalk it up to clueless ACC schedule scheduling. We don't play football on Friday nights in the South. You know, Clemson, Clemson should not ever play on a Friday night. And they've played, I think, twice now. I think they played Boston College two years ago. That, that should never happen. You go up to Syracuse, Dino Babers runs a crazy fast offense. Kelly Bryant gets hurt for most of the game. Um, and it was a disaster. So I know why they lost those games. But still, you look at the results, 
And, and you see, well, you know, it's been the Clemson and Alabama world we've been living in, and absolutely it has. But you also see losses to the Qs and the Pitt. I don't think anybody would have predicted that. My point in all this is you still can't rule out one game where Clemson just loses to a team that you go, wow, that, why did that happen? Now, would it be a Boston College in November? I don't think so. Maybe. Um, you know, Boston College can, you know, maybe Clemson's not having a good day on offense. and I, I don't know. Um, it's not going to be to Georgia Tech, even though Georgia Tech, I think, is capable of upsetting just about anybody else in the country. Brent, Brent Venables solved this defense long ago. Paul Johnson, unless you have a lot of new ball plays, that's not going to happen. Could A&M rise up and, and beat them? Maybe. It's not going to be Georgia Southern. Um, Syracuse is going to Death Valley. Wake Forest and Winston-Salem, that used to be a big deal, but not under Dabo. Um, NC State's kind of had their number as far as close games the last two years, but I don't see NC State going into Clemson and winning. You know, Tallahassee, maybe. You know, Louisville. How good are they going to be? I don't know. Clemson blew them out last year. And then their other cross-division game is against the mighty Duke Blue Devils. And then they play South Carolina. South Carolina is going to be a, a much better team than they were last year, just like they improved from 2016 to 2017. But you can't really expect them to have the horses to go up to Death Valley and, and, and you know, all things being equal win that game. So, you know, then you get to the ACC championship game, Mike. It's probably going to be Miami, but what if Miami flubs around, loses to Virginia Tech, and maybe Virginia Tech sneaks in? Maybe it's like that year where Duke made it. And none of those teams have a shot to knock off Clemson. Miami athletically can match up in certain situations. Um, But that's about it. And, and, And so, obviously, they're ranked very highly. They have an impressive team full of a lot of good future NFL players. Uh, they run the table from the ACC they're in, and they're probably the number one seed again. And then, you know, we'll find out, just like we found out last year about Clemson, we'll find out this year when they play, you know, an Alabama, if they get matched up with an Alabama or a team like that. But I, I have a feeling, just based on personnel, that, that Clemson should probably be the favorite over the Crimson Tide. Uh just as far as how schedules mesh up and stuff and personnel losses, um, even though most people have Bama number one. Wouldn't shock me. I mean, at that point, it wouldn't shock me. Uh, but you know what definitely wouldn't shock me is to see both of them back in the playoff. <laughs> yes. it's, because we're – and I just – I do wonder well, – college football is Teflon, right? Like of all the sports – the NFL is going through some hard times, particularly from a PR standpoint. The NBA went through some hard times. They've had a resurgence. Major League Baseball always has its critics. Um, college basketball has its critics. The one and done, you could say, uh, some people that, that's turned them off, what have you. College football has been on a steady incline. And you can point to uh, declining attendance in some spots, but that just means people prefer the, the, the experience in front of their 70-inch high-definition climate-controlled television room uh, with their personal bathroom as opposed to fighting traffic, spending a lot of money, and going to the game. That doesn't mean people are less interested in college football. College football has been on a steady, steady incline. And I just wonder, just wonder 
if at what point does it become stale for some people to see the same half dozen to dozen teams fighting for the playoff every year? And if we do have Clemson and Alabama in it again, at what point does that just like there's so many other programs they're trying hard to win too. And they're, you know, yeah, they're going to a bowl game and they're doing this or doing that. But, but at what point does it become where fans say, uh, is there anything we could do here to reshuffle the deck? Cause we're kind of getting tired of this. Cause it's really not like that in other sports, college or pro. It's not the same. I mean, that's what may, that's one of the things that makes college football unique, maybe in not such a good way. And, and the playoff, I think even highlights it even more because the playoff is the best way, I believe, to find the top four teams. It's not flawless, but it's the best way we've got. And the fact of the matter is the top four or five teams are kind of the same more often than not. So that would be my only thing. College football has been impervious to any of the things that have been hurting other team sports out there, either collegiately or professionally. But it's the one thing you you can't ignore it, that we look at this list every year and it's the same damn list. And at the end of the year, guess what? It's the same damn list. We might have one surprise that sneaks in there at the number four spot of the playoff. And then they'll probably get thumped by the number one team if that does happen. Other than that, I think that's why a lot of people gravitated toward the UCF story last year, quite frankly, because it was just something different than what we're used to. And it's, it's something unique to what has become anything but unique in terms of the hierarchy of college football. Well, yeah, you know, you, you look at it and look, there's been 16 playoff teams. We've had four playoffs. So there's 16 slots. Alabama has 25% of those. Right. <laughs> They've been to every playoff. Clemson, Al- Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State, Oklahoma combined have 11 out of the 16 playoff berths. Wow. Okay. <laughs> There have been um, there have been some other schools that have made it. Michigan State made it one year, got promptly throttled by Alabama. Uh, Washington made it one year, got promptly throttled by Alabama. Oregon made it, throttled Florida State, and then got throttled by Ohio State. And remember, that's um, when Oregon was a power. That wasn't like a like a Cinderella. That's when Oregon oh, yeah. still had it going pretty well. Yeah, Marcus Mariota, I mean, they, 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 right. they, were, they were loaded. Um, yeah. So, you know, I think that's one of the reasons everybody's kind of getting on the Georgia bandwagon a little bit after last mm-hmm. year because you do have a, I mean, a, 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 an older face and Kirby Smart because obviously he's for Bama, but, but in a fresh situation, you have a fresh fan base that's excited about it. It's a big fan base. It's a – quite frankly, a long-suffering fan base, um, you know, and they get all the way. And, I mean, if you're a Georgia fan last year, it was a dream season. You, you maybe bought the tickets to go up to South Bend for the for the game two because, um, you know, that's probably the only time in your lifetime you're going to play Notre Dame in South Bend and everybody needs to see it. So that's great. Well, then we lost to Auburn. Oh, well. You know, I could do this in a Larry Munson voice. Well, we lost to Auburn down on the plains, you know. Georgia, you know, Georgia picks up, put, picks them up off, pick the dog, pick, they pick up the, off the bootstrap. I'm trying to say something I can't right now with the, in the voice. But, um, no, they go to Auburn and get obliterated. Okay, so, oh, here's, here's our luck as a dog again, you know. 
Well, then something happens, and Auburn also beats Alabama. And so you get the rematch with Auburn rather than having to play a Bama team that you hadn't played yet that's kind of gotten had your number. Uh, and all of a sudden, you know, Auburn has some injuries. They didn't play as well. Georgia played out of their mind. You win the SEC. So, bam, there you go. You're going to the Rose Bowl now. So you win the SEC at Mercedes-Benz Stadium, which is a very nice facility. Uh, and then you're going to the Rose Bowl. So all your fans, the legions of dog fans, get to go all the way across the country to the historic Rose Bowl and play Oklahoma, another prideful program, whatever. Great football game. I, I like defense a little better than, than that, but great football game. And Georgia won. And so then there's the big one in Atlanta and, you know, probably the entire country, except for folks that live in Alabama and Alabama fans, they're pulling for Georgia to win because people pull against the favorite. And uh, doggone it, they almost pulled it off. And all offseason, you know, they signed the number one recruiting class. You know, the whole narrative has been Georgia's got it rolling. And they, they probably do, but, folks, it's only been one year. I think that's why people are gravitating towards that story, Mike, because they're one, they're, they're the only one besides 2014 Oregon, which I, I think Oregon will probably get back to a certain level of, of goodness in the Pac-12 someday, but they're not. They've fallen off. Um, they're the only team besides that Oregon team um, of, of the ones that have only made you know only made it one time that, that's made any noise or, or provided any memorable moments. I mean, certainly Oregon blowing out a Florida State team that was the defending national champions and hanging on by the skin of its teeth with Jameis Winston not even trying to the fourth quarter, yeah, that was a memorable moment. But then Ohio State was the story that year. Um, Michigan State got shut completely out. Saban assistant versus Saban. Um, Washington, you know, Alabama didn't even play well in that game here. (laughs) where in the semifinals where they beat Washington 24-7. They didn't even play well. Nick Saban was so pissed off about how they played, he, he just told Lane Kiffin to go on. That's exactly what happened. And, I mean, and, and Washington didn't even look like they belonged in the same field. No. I mean, And that was a good Washington team. I think that's why a lot of people even this year don't take Washington seriously as a true national championship contender. Yeah. Like even if they beat Auburn, let's say they beat Auburn, and we're going to get into these big matchups here in just a second. And for a lot of people, that's the number one matchup. Even if Washington beats Auburn, which which is kind of a de facto home game for for War Eagle Nation there, uh, there ain't going to be a whole lot of Washington fans compared to Auburn fans in the Mercedes Dome. Yeah, 80-20 at best. At best, at best, yes. Uh, If they pull that off and they win the Pac-12 and they get in the, the playoff, they're going to be a heavy underdog in that first game in all likelihood. Everybody's going to say, it's just, it, you know, it's, it's Washington. And that might not be fair either, but that's just the way people perceive Washington because the only time they've, for a lot of people, the only time they've ever paid attention to Washington Huskies football in the last 20 years was that game. And you mentioned the score. The score wasn't that lopsided, but the game was. And, and, and it just didn't look like they belonged in the same field with Alabama. As you mentioned, Alabama had their own, uh, strife going on and still control the game so with that being said who do you like washington auburn dome stidham browning i have uh i've had some discussions about this in the last couple of days uh i want to caution auburn fans because I, i think that you have one of the best defensive fronts in college football 
Uh, I think your defense is absolutely stacked, to be honest with you. I, I think that's awesome, too, because it's one of those things where, you know, everybody's like, Auburn's, Auburn's defense is going to be filthy, and, you know, Stidham's back, and, you know, they have some good receivers, and, you know, yeah, who's going to run the football? Well, Gus Malzahn always has a good running game. And, and that's, been a, that's been a narrative I've heard over the summer. But I don't know about that because it hasn't always been that way. Um, and when they can't run the ball, their offense is decidedly pedestrian. Look at the Clemson game last year. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the contests where they've not had a go-to running back or they've had injuries, the, the Georgia game and the Georgia – I mean, in, in Mercedes-Benz for the SEC title. Um, you know, that, that to me was a little bit different. I mean, that, that, was, that was Auburn not really having it all together. Um, and when it's clicking, they're great. But when, when, when it's not clicking, you know, sometimes it's not so great. Um, and I'm very hesitant when you have a head coach that's known for something. Uh, and Gus Balzahn's known for having great run games and great offenses. And everybody's like, well, they're worried about, you know, at Auburn the two big things are who's going to play running back and who's going to play on the offensive line. And then the answer you get sometimes is, you know, from people, oh, don't worry about it. Their defense is great to talk defense, 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 Stidham, defense, defense, Stidham. Nobody's mentioning the O-line or, or any solutions there. And it's just like, oh, well, Gus Malzahn always does that. Well, yeah, you know, sometimes, um, you know, certain coaches have, I mean, great defenses and, and, and they're, they always have a great defense. And then all of a sudden the bottom falls out. Uh, you know, because there's there's one glaring weakness, especially when you're talking about challenging for the SEC and and, and playing for the national title. Which are I think, you predicting Washington? Is that where this is going? That's where that that that's <laughs> that's my. Th- so I want to caution Auburn fans okay. thinking that just because you finished ahead of Washington in the recruiting rankings since you know the Lord created the internet back in the day. That doesn't mean necessarily that top to bottom you're a better football team. I'm picking Auburn 23-20, to 20, and that's the prediction I've given all week. But I love Jake Browning. Chris Peterson brought Boise State to, to Atlanta and whipped Georgia, a good Georgia team, by two touchdowns. I think it was 2011. Um, you know, don't, 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 don't sit there and think for a second, for a second, that Washington's not capable of winning this game, even though it is going to be an Auburn home game and Auburn's very good. I I, I just – I think, you know, they don't recruit players from the south at Washington. It's not even like SC that recruits nationally. They recruit the Northwest, California. They kind of go find some Samoan guys. Um, and the Washington team you saw play Alabama a couple of years ago, I think is a, is a worse football team than this team will be this year. So I think it's going to be very close. That is a long way to go to wind up pricking Auburn in the I thought for sure you were you were selling me on Washington there. Um I know what you're saying. And by the way, that Boise State team might have had more pros on it than this Washington team did. That was a Boise State team that had some dudes, <laughs> man. Yeah, they had some dudes. I don't know where they where he got them from, but he had some dudes. Um, look, and I, and I want to circle back to what I was saying about Washington earlier, because I know the college football fan is a little more sensitive, JC, than your average fan, as you know. I, I have a world of respect for Chris Peterson. I think he's one of the best coaches in college football. I have a world of respect for what they've done at Washington. I think college football is healthier 
when somebody on the West Coast is really good. And right now it's not Southern Cal and it's not UCLA and it's not the Arizona schools. And you already talked about Oregon trying to climb its way back up. So right now that team is Washington uh, and, and, and good for the Huskies. I don't see them winning this game. And I'll tell you why. This is only the second time Gus Malzahn has had a returning starting quarterback. Hmm. You think of all the turnover they've had there. Uh, it, it's rare for him to have a guy, not to mention a guy who could be a first, second round draft pick instead of where he's back starting for a second straight year. That Clemson game you mentioned, he, he looked raw. He was sacked 11 times. The line was porous. He held onto the football too long. Eventually, he learned and adjusted to that. I, I, I don't think we're going to see that Jared Stidham again. Look, I'm not saying you can just pluck some guy off the street and he's carry on Johnson, but they do have a 1,000-yard rusher like nine straight years there. I, I think overall they're going to be able to run, and Stidham is going to be a better quarterback this year. You mentioned how nasty Auburn's defense is. I don't say that. I'm not saying they boat race Washington, but I'd be very surprised if they lose the game. I just think Auburn is a right now a better team, and as I've already said, a loss for Washington is a is a major loss for the Pac-12, and Pac-12 is going to have one hell of a time fighting its way back to contention for a team in the playoff. And when you start getting shut out for the playoff two years in a row. It's pretty disheartening for your entire league. You know, they have a very uh, ambitious and dynamic personality in their commissioner and Commissioner Scott. Um, They've tried a number of different things there. The Pac-12 network, some people would argue, has not uh, exactly been a roaring success. Um, They have talked about expansion here and there. And, of course, they they were part of the most most recent round of it. And I'm not sure... how much that benefited the Pac-12 or not, to be honest with you. But uh, they could really use this game is what I'm what I'm getting to, and, and I don't think they're going to get it. Michigan-Notre Dame. I'm excited about this game. I really am. Um, you know, sometimes Notre Dame, I don't like living in a world where we feel like Notre Dame has to be, it's kind of like if you're doing a uh, topical show and you feel you, you have to mention LeBron James once a show just because even though it's not relevant to anything, uh, I don't. I don't feel like I have to talk about Notre Dame all the time when it talks when it comes to college football. Notre Dame is not always relevant. They are this time. They are this weekend. This is a big game. This is a fun game to watch. You and I are, are in agreement on Jim Harbaugh. He is not, should not, and will not anytime soon be on the hot seat. But it certainly would go a long way if he could win this game and Shea Patterson could look good in the process. How do, you th- how do you see things shaping up in one of the uh, best games of the weekend by far in, in Michigan-Notre Dame? I, uh, I love the two quarterbacks, Brandon Wimbush, uh, strong-arm kid out of New Jersey, and uh, uh, obviously love um, Shea Patterson and think he's a difference maker uh, for Michigan. I, you know, the Michigan defense is awfully salty. Brian Kelly usually finds a way to have a pretty good offense. I think that's going to be the key. Um, if Michigan can kind of stymie them, hold them down, sort of like Georgia did on their home field last year, uh, where Notre Dame did move the ball and make some plays, but it wasn't necessarily um, – they didn't light them up or anything or, or you know, stymie them like Miami did last year in the Orange Bowl. However you got to do it, Michigan's defense is that good, in my opinion, especially their front. 
Um, and it is tough in an opening game uh, to go against uh, their defensive coordinator, Brown, with his exotic blitz packages. You have guys like Chase Winovich back. You have Rashawn Gary back. Um, those guys are just filthy. Uh, and then their secondary is good, et cetera. Um, the reason Michigan was an 8-5 and five football team last year had really nothing to do with Harbaugh and everything to do with the fact they did not have a quarterback. Um, Brandon Peters, uh, the young guy they finally ended up putting in that was just just better than terrible, terrible. He's terrible. He, he's absolutely terrible. He's a good backup. Okay, let's just say that. Shea Patterson brings a completely different dimension to that offense with what he can do with his legs. He has a good arm. And, and and look, when Patterson said he was going to Michigan, Mike, I was like, maybe it's not a scheme fit. Then I started thinking, you know, Jim Harbaugh did coach Colin Kaepernick to a Super Bowl. Right. And Colin Kaepernick is a, is a dual threat guy. He does things with his legs. So I'm excited to see what happens. I'm going to – I'm going to go out and I'm going to say Michigan wins and, and, and probably there's some people in South Bend scratching their head on uh, on Sunday morning about this because I, I think their defense is going to be fierce. Uh, I think Har- Harbaugh is probably sick of hearing all the all the daggum, uh, con- you know, criticism. Uh, I think he's still a top three coach in all of football, top five coach in all of football, both levels because of where he's won and what he's done. And now he is at his most dangerous because he has a quarterback and talent to go around him. Um, even if Michigan's offensive line is not great, Patterson can make things happen with his legs. I think Michigan wins something like twenty-four to ten. Uh, I'm with you. I don't know. I don't know if it's quite lo- that lopsided or not, but I I think Michigan wins it. Uh, Vegas has a half the casinos you go to right now has it as a pick'em game, which is. Uh, which is tempting. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. Um, but yeah, uh, that'll be 7:30 Eastern Time on NBC. So we got a couple good. I was full surprised the Auburn Washington games in the middle of the day. That's a 3:30 kick. And then of course, if you fast forward a little bit, uh, if you fast forward to let me get my day straight here. Sunday, yeah, Sunday, Sunday. LSU, Miami, Miami, LSU, yeah. Uh, I knew I'd get that. Uh, Virginia Tech, Florida State is Monday. LSU, Miami is Sunday. Kind of confusing because we're not used to college football on those days, but we've got it the opening week. Miami is a three and a half point favorite against LSU. Uh, I'll just tell you quickly there's a lot of talk down here in, in, in South Florida about Miami. And can Mark Ricks do it again? You know, I mean, the, the hardcore Miami fans generally, which none of them ever stepped foot on campus. Um, they're just the flag is back out. Miami. It's all about the U. What, what, what the maybe the more knowledgeable Miami fan has a little cautious optimism. Like, OK, nobody saw what Mark Rick did last year coming. Now everybody's got Miami on their radar might be a little bit tougher this year, and this is a tough game out of the opening gate on a neutral field against an LSU program that has a coach that certainly knows where he stands right now with the potential to be on a hot seat if he's not already there. Uh, LSU, with all its problems, still has a lot of talent. So there, there's certainly no lack of concern about this game uh, in the Miami camp. And for LSU, I mean, for obvious reasons, 
it is a very big game. What do you see happening on Sunday night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern time? Man, you know, this would be such a huge win for Miami because LSU, like it or not, LSU has been relevant a whole, whole lot since Miami ever has been. Uh, And if you think about it, Miami joined the ACC in 2005. LSU was two years away from winning a national championship. Miami was four. Miami didn't even win the Coastal Division, Mike, until last year. So, so this is big for them to knock these guys off. This is what Miami football is about, going and knocking people off and you know, collecting scalps, so to speak. I, I like this Miami defensive line. I, I think they're very good. I, I think they should they, they are athletic enough on, on defense with you know guys like uh, Shaq Quarterman at middle linebacker and Zach McLeod. Um, and some of the guys they have, Jaquan Johnson, I love him at safety. I think he's a big-time baller. Um, so defensively, I think, yeah, can they stymie LSU? Well, until LSU proves all of us different, absolutely. Um, you know, you, you have Travis Homer, DJ Dallas, uh, Trayon Gray, a uh, three-headed monster at running back. I don't know, Lorenzo Lingard, their true freshman, I love that guy. I think he's fourth team right now. So they're stacked there. Jeff Thomas. Amon Richards, um, Lawrence Cager, outside of Clemson. Outside of Clemson, I, mean, I would have to say Miami, is a, as far as a top three, then the top three at Clemson are Higgins and uh, Renfro and uh, then T. Martin's son, whose name I forget. But uh, they're going to be really good. But, but I think this is a good thing. The issue with them is Malik Rozier. Malik Rozier was good at times last year and not so good at times last year. And I just I just think he's got to take it to a next level if, uh, if Miami's going to get there. Um, interesting point is the backup quarterback to Malik Rozier is one Cade Weldon, son of former Florida State quarterback Casey, Casey Weldon. Weldon. Um, saw him as a recruit, really steady player, so maybe he can step in. But I, you know, so we'll see. I, you know, I am going to say because I've been contending all along that LSU is probably not going to be as bad as people think after the Joe Burrow commitment happened. I thought that would solidify things. I'm going to go out on a limb and say Miami win, or, or, or excuse me, LSU wins a close one, um, and it probably won't be a beautiful score. It'll be one of those weird, ugly scores. I'm going to say uh, 22 to 18. I have no feel on who wins this game. <laughs> I, I really, I'm having a hard time just, just see like playing it out in my mind. What's going to happen? I, I won't. I don't know the results of this, but here's one thing I will say: is we're. I know we're getting short on time. What will happen? I, I'm familiar with Manny Diaz. I've followed him at multiple spots. He's a defense coordinator now at Miami. Guy's been in and out of the SEC. Then all of a sudden, uh, was in Texas. Got blamed for everything that went wrong. Uh, probably got fired when he didn't necessarily need to be fired. Uh, as, as it was later found out, he wasn't the reason why Texas all of a sudden wasn't great. Uh, he had to remember Manny Diaz went to Louisiana tech under skip Holtz just to kind of recapture his, his career and reputation. And now he's back where he belongs, which is a major program. And he knows how to coach defense and here's what he will do. He is going to make Joe Burrow, beat Miami on offense. LSU is not just going to ground and pound and gash them. 
uh, he will stack the box and he will make the mighty Joe Burrow show what he can do because while he's a coach's son and while he certainly has uh, physical talent, that's why Ohio State recruited him. That's why Ohio, Ohio State uh, gave him some reps. In a game like this, in a spot like this, this is brand new to him. So Manny Diaz is going to put him at the test. If Joe Burrow can man up and make some plays, I think LSU wins it. If Joe Burrow folds like a cheap tent, uh, LSU will not be able to overcome that. Uh, that you know, Some LSU teams are able to do so with, with shoddy quarterback play and still win games against pretty good teams. I don't think this LSU team is going to do that this year. Like, they're going to have to have Joe Burrow contribute and help them win some games against good teams this year. And it all starts in week one against Miami. I'll just throw one other game out there, JC, as we wrap up that, that intrigues me, even though I think we all know who's going to win it. West Virginia, Tennessee does. I, I want to watch that. I, I, I want to see what Tennessee football looks like. They're going to be outmatched. Will Greer should be able to put up some very good numbers, but I want to see if Jeremy Pruitt instills uh, some more discipline that has been sorely lacking a positive attitude that has been sorely lacking. I want to see if there's some energy from the Tennessee faithful about this game that has been sorely lacking. I'm just curious about the new era in Knoxville because Tennessee football intrigues me, <laughs> uh, altogether and, and, and what they've been through, uh, over the last three coaches. Now they, it seems like they've got their guy. We'll see. So I, I'm just curious to see, I think West Virginia is a 10 point favorite. How does Tennessee uh, show up and, and make this game competitive in the fourth quarter if they can? Well, you know, you, you look at their personnel um, and it's like the, the island of misfit toys as far as, you know, guys <laughs> that are rated high as recruits that, eh, really, you know, for this reason or that reason, be it injury, be it suspension, whatever. Um, I do think Trey Smith. Their starting left tackle is the best left tackle in college football. I believe okay. he will be the first tackle taken in the draft. I think he's that good. Um, I think the rest of their offensive line, including Alabama transfer Brandon Kennedy, um, Drew Richmond, who is a, a big, tall guy, I, I think that if they can hold up and whoever's the quarterback, and like again, I, I'm not going to be sold on Garantano until I am. But you do have Jawan Jennings, and you do have Marquez Callaway out there to catch passes. Um, you have a transfer running back in Madre London. You have Ty Chandler back. You know, defensively, every one of these guys were highly touted. Kyle Phillips, Shai Tuttle, Alexis Johnson, Jonathan Kongbo was the top juco. Daryl Taylor, this big kid out of Virginia. Uh, Darren Kirkland, Corte Sapp. The list goes on and on. Nigel Warrior, Mike. So the, the Ray Buchanan's kid, Balin Buchanan, is starting at one of the corners. Um, so my point is, if they can find a way to slow West Virginia, and keep in mind, West Virginia played Alabama in an opener a few years back and gave them fits with this offense. And I think Clint Trickett was the quarterback. Um, this is Will Greer, so it's a lot different. Hmm. And, <laughs> and, and if Tennessee can line up, which I think they're going to do, milk clock, grind out a few first downs, hit some passes, they can stay in this ball game. Now, at the end, do I think West Virginia may have too much firepower? Yes. Uh, but, I, you know, just looking at their top 22, 
versus West Virginia's, I do see a scenario if they're able to if their offensive line's able to make some things happen and, and they don't just get a disaster at QB and they don't get greedy, uh, where maybe they can control the clock, grind out some yards and um, wear out the West Virginia D. And, and if that happens, they have enough weapons on the outside in, in Jennings and uh, Marquez Callaway to make some things happen and, and potentially win the ball game. Do I think it's going to happen? No, but I am intrigued by that avenue to victory for the Vols. I think it's going to be a little closer than people think, uh, and I think it may cause a lot of false hope uh, in Tennessee because I don't know that how good they're going to ultimately be on offense this year. Um, I think it'll be somewhere in like the 31-21 range with West Virginia kind of pulling away late, which will be good because I heard Tennessee's bringing a lot of fans over to Charlotte. West Virginia's coming down with a lot of folks, so good for the city of Charlotte and good for that matchup. Yeah, it uh depending on how the Carolina Panthers do this year, that that crowd could be more raucous than what you see on Sundays in the fall over there in Charlotte. I, I think that uh, one, one just final thing I'll add to this game, <laughs> if somehow Tennessee pulled it off, obviously, oh. it's, big, obviously it's big for Tennessee, <laughs> but it, it, it's another <laughs> for yes, the big it's 12. a death blow for the Big 12. Yes, Oklahoma could still win that league and get into the playoff. Uh, and that would not surprise me in the least if that's what happens. But from a reputational standpoint, you know, Texas is still working its way up with Tom Herman. West Virginia can't go out there and lay an egg to a, a team that might be 6-6 six and six this year from the SEC. Uh, it just cannot happen if you're the Big 12 Conference. So uh, th- that's one little <laughs> other little anecdote to that matchup. If it's close in the fourth quarter, that uh, heart and throat feeling is not just from West Virginia fans. That's from Big 12 fans as a whole. JC, it's week one of the season, so I allowed us to go over. I, I think we, we owed it to the American public to, to do a little overtime. Today. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with this. And for all of, all of you out here that uh, you know, listen to our podcast and work out at the same time, uh, you know, you're welcome for this extra 30 minutes because you're going to need it because <laughs> I know you're going to be drinking some ice cold ones and downing some nachos and, and chicken wings and whatever else you can get your hand on this weekend in the first week of the season. So I think it's going to be uh, outstanding. Mike, I did want to mention uh, mm-hmm. one of our sponsors here, uh, ATS Sportswear. Um, they custom they, they specialize in custom design sports apparel. That's your you know your youth league jerseys, your you know drink a six pack on a Tuesday softball jerseys, your company picnic t shirts, your family reunion stuff, uh, cheerleader outfits, whatever you need. ATS Sportswear is here for you with that. They also do company apparel. They do custom embroidery, screen printing t shirts. I know I got to get some t shirts made up pretty soon uh, for my Atlanta area college football watch party which by the way starts at 11 a.m drink specials at the dive bar in buckhead this weekend for those of you in the atlanta area um so i'm gonna go to ats sportswear they specialize in a quick turnaround and quality quality work they have four professional artists on staff get in touch with them by emailing at sportswear one at gmail.com that's my personal contact there he'll take good care of you tell them jc and mike sent you They'll give you 15% off your order, you know, so you're thinking $100 worth of T-shirts. You only have to pay 85 and that can add up if you're making a big purchase. That's ATS Sportswear, a proud sponsor of the J.C. and Morgan podcast. I like it. I like it. The J.C. and Morgan podcast growing by the thousands each and every week and really appreciate all of you that have 
chosen us to kind of entertain you and uh, hopefully inform you a little bit during this college football season and off season. Uh, certainly we've been kind of overwhelmed to be honest with you with not only the amount of people that have already subscribed and listened every week, but just your comments, the, the ratings, the, uh, the overall just compliments that you've been able to, uh, pass along to us. It does certainly mean a lot. And we look forward to doing this each and every week. And we are certainly looking forward to actual football games this weekend. So for JC Sherbert, this is Mike Morgan saying so long until next time for another installment of the JC and Morgan podcast. If you've owned your car for a while, or maybe you got a great deal on a used vehicle that feels new to you, AAA has a vehicle protection plan that fits your needs and your budget. Let's face it, unexpected and expensive repairs can pop up. That's why AAA vehicle protection plans provide comprehensive coverage for maintenance and repair to take some of the risk out of driving a classic. Find out more about our vehicle protection plans at AAA.com slash vehicle plan. Jess, it's happening. Whoa, Tina, what are you doing in my car? Space is here now. No closet will be left behind. Did you say closet? Yes, the Container Store custom closets are up to 25% off. It doesn't matter the size or shape. Space is coming to them all. You're not serious. Space isn't a joke, Jess. How long do we have? Through October 13th. All right, buckle up. The Container Store custom closet sale is here with up to 25% off all systems, including Alpha. The Container Store, where space comes from.